a good evening again. It's been a couple of weeks and I feel like we've kind of changed channels, you know, when your show moves to a different day of the week and stuff, you know, it's kind of, kind of weird, but that's okay. So, um, we're looking at 1 John chapter 3. There's still a few more books in the back and if anyone needs more than what we have back there, then I can always make up some more. But we're in 1 John chapter 3. We're actually ready for question 7, but I'm going to read these verses here, um, verses 16 through 24, just to refresh our minds. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has gave, uh, pardon me, as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now we're going to look at uh, question number seven. How do we know what true love is? We'll just take this one at a time. We know this from verse 16, right? Right. Jesus set the example of what true love is by giving his life for us. He laid down his life for us, setting that example. So how then should we love others? Helping each other. Kind of like what things James said, you know, be warm and filled. Don't do that. Actually help them. Right. <laughs> Your people in need help them. When you're reading this in, in John, the verses we read here, it just reminds you of James so much where he says, actually do something, actually have a deed, actually do something in, let's see, how does he say it here? Indeed and in truth. So actually have an action. Um, so we should love sacrificially as a servant to one another, right? That's how the Lord did for us. He came to serve, not to be served. So it's living in servant I mean, living in service, you know, to the Lord and others. So what kind of love is this? What do we, what do we call this a lot of times? Or you can say it however you want. Unconditional. Unconditional. Yeah. God, God gives us, gives everyone unconditional love in a way, doesn't he? Because he makes the rain to come on the just and the unjust and all of that. Yes, Pat. Right, it's not just in word, but it's in deed. It's an active love. 
what I was thinking of is this is like a godly love, right? Like we were the way God loves everyone, not just us, but he especially, of course, cares and loves for his people, but he loves everyone because everyone on the earth is a potential child of God if they would turn to him. And they, everyone in this life has a lot of those same blessings, like the rain and other things. Yes, ma'am. You might say self-sacrificial love is another way to say what you're saying. Verse yep. 16 is relating to Christ. Just like, yeah, he did that. We should lay down our lives. But maybe we don't have to lay down our lives. Maybe we need to give someone some bread. You know, whatever right. it is in reality. Right, but it's it's unmerited. It's gracious. That's the kind of love that God gives us. If you think about our salvation, it's unmerited. It's gracious. And it means when we're, when we're following God's love, it means that we are seeking to benefit others. We're seeking to benefit and help others because we care and want good for them. Yes. It's just like when we have little children, we try to teach them to share and show their love. Like if they have two cookies, give one to your brother. <laughs> yeah, you try to teach them to share. And yeah, it is like that because we're trying to share. An overabundance of something in your home, you shouldn't hoard it up. Just like the, the rich young ruler, you know, built new barns instead of sharing what he had. He built a bigger barn to put more stuff to be stored in. Right. We store stuff away, we should give it away. Right. We don't need to like store up or hoard up our abundance. What we need to do is share that out, right? Because we do need to take care of our families. We do have certain responsibilities we have to do, but we we probably all have some abundance of some kind that we can share and do. So and that is that is the godly love. That's what I was thinking of and trying to get at when I was looking at that in verses uh, 16 through 18. So let's see, if we look at question eight then, what gives us assurance and confidence that we are of the truth? So if we look at 19, and 20, 19 through 23, right? We know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. This has to do part well, this has to do with a number of things. Loving one another and keeping his commandments, that's that's two ways we know that Jesus said that we would be um we could be confident that we are in the truth, that we are in him and that he is in us. Um there's uh especially having faith in Jesus because we must come to God believing that he is and that he cares about us, right? So there's faith. And it also talks about our heart condemning us or not condemning us. And this is talking about our conscience being clear. If we have been forgiven and made corrections, we don't need to be trapped in our, in our past in the things we've done wrong. We all know we've done things wrong. But if we have been forgiven and we have made corrections and moved on, then our conscience is clear. We have a heart. Um, we have a heart that will not condemn us, right? Yes. I was just going to say that when we're new uh, Christians, we're babes in Christ, and we take it the milk of the word. And mm -hmm. as we grow, we take the meat of the word. And so by doing that, it gives us confidence. 
Right. As we learn more. Spiritual and, nourishment to grow. Yeah. Spiritual. Spiritual. Spiritual nourishment, right. As we grow, as we grow from the milk into the meat or the deeper things of the word, we, we gain confidence there as we, plus as we grow, we are um, making these corrections, right? We're trying to draw closer to God, closer to the Lord, and making the corrections we need to so that we are becoming more like the Lord, right? It's not that we're necessarily perfect, but we're working on it. We're a work in progress. We're, we're, we're doing that. We're being faithful by striving for that perfection. So, does anybody have anything else on that before we... Okay. So, question nine. How can we know that he abides in us and we in him? Now, this is actually two questions, so let me, let me break that down differently. That's right. I got a note here. A note to myself that I missed. But So, this is two questions. Let's start with how do we know we abide in him? Yes, Matt. It says right there, whoever keeps his commitment to abide in God. If we keep his commandments, right, keeping his commandments, then uh, then we know. And those actions of keeping his commandments, they are, they are part of the fruit by which we know someone is a Christian, right? Because if you see somebody out running around breaking commandments, you pretty much know. I mean, <laughs> you know, if they're doing a lot of things intentionally wrong, right? So the second question on that, how do we know he abides in us? By his spirit whom he has given us. Correct. Right. That's exactly right. And there is one other thing, because this reminded me of something uh, back in John chapter 14. And of course, it comes from John because John is writing this. Right. But uh, it reminded me of this. We also know by the promise of the Lord Jesus uh, in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And that's the Holy Spirit, right? And that's the Spirit, right. Keeping my commandments and the Spirit right there. Right there. It's all together. That's why I think that's why I, it got me to remember that because it's all right there. Does anybody have anything else on that before we move to the next chapter? All right. So we'll look at First John chapter 4. <coughs> Pardon me. Sorry. Okay, so the main points of this chapter are the first six verses uh, are about like testing the spirits. And then they've broken it down for verse 7 through 21 is about God is love. <clears throat> Pardon me again. Okay. Okay, I don't know whose water this is. I got to drink some of it. Sorry. Well, I guess it's mine now because I, I don't blame anybody for not wanting to drink after me, and that's okay. All right. Let's hope that will be better. 
So let's read the first six verses here of 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. One note that some translations instead of spirit of error say spirit of like deceit or deception, but the idea is basically the same. So I want to start with a question of my own here. Who are these spirits John is referring to in a, in a practical sense? I mean, just in a practical, physical, worldly sense. Well, there's a practical sense that, that like, whatever sort of attitude we have, I mean, not to deny the Holy Spirit, but, but right. the, sense, the sense that a false teacher is going to, his attitude is going to be toward leading someone astray, a false spirit. Hopefully we have an honest heart and our spirit is full of truth and goodness and the Holy Spirit. Right, when we're... Like you said, um, hopefully our spirit, we are following the, the correct spirit, right? But I think the spirit, a lot of this where it says the spirit is referring, we are spirits, we're spirit beings in a body, right? So a lot of this is referring to other people. We're testing the spirit that they're presenting, but it is other people in a way, right? Because are they of God? Are they... Are they um, are they presenting of God or are they presenting of, you know, Satan? Having to do with the uh, prophets, the false prophets that have gone out into the world. Well, those false prophets, those are people, right? So we're testing the spirits of these people. So that's what I was kind of getting to. Sorry, it, it may not have made good sense, but that was, yes, Pat. And if we don't know the truth ourselves, we can't um, compare it. Well, true. We need to know the truth ourselves first before we can really test the spirits to know, right? So that's true. And that's why John is telling us, that's why he gives us this one way. He says here in, in verse 2 that every spirit that confesses. So if someone is telling us that Jesus did not come in the flesh, then we know they're wrong already. Even if they're even if they're just inaccurate or deceived themselves, that's still wrong. That's we know that's wrong. Um, it's not necessarily that that person is evil. They could just be deceived and not know, not understand. Yes. My mind also goes to like where where Jesus was foretelling his death, and then Peter's like, "You're not going to do that." And Jesus says, "Get behind me, Satan!" Addressing Peter, 
And then there's yeah. similar language, you know, when, when Judas decided to go and do what he was going to do and betray Jesus, it says, then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. And there's a sense in which you can have an evil spirit based on the choices we make or how we're going to look at that. Right. There, there is that sense that we could have a wrong spirit or evil spirit. Um, and like with Peter, with Peter's example, where the Lord actually had to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan. We know Peter was not evil. We know Peter cared about Jesus, but in that instance, he's acting out of the wrong, uh, what, the wrong spirit, I guess. So, uh, so he's acting out of a human, yeah, just more of a human spirit, not knowing or not understanding or wanting, maybe not wanting to acknowledge Jesus. It's kind of funny. Jesus told them a lot of times what was going to happen, but when you come right down to it, it didn't seem like they really totally believed that. And I'm not trying to be mean, but yes. There's kind of a sense in which, you know, Jesus' temptations with the devil are kind of, here's other ways to not have to go to the cross. I'll just give you the world and this sort of stuff. Or just worship me and then I'll let you win. Right. Uh, and then his his prayers in the garden, you know, this cup can pass for me. Those, those, that was the temptation for Jesus. So when Peter is saying, you're not going to have to die, he's, he's actually playing in the role of the tempter. That's, that's what the devil's trying to do to Jesus. Right. Okay, that's right. Okay, so, well, yeah, when He's Peter... participating with the devil. Yeah. When, un, un, unwittingly. But, unwittingly. Yeah, unwittingly, when Peter says, no, you, you know, you're not going to die, that's not going to happen, he is actually participating in that temptation from Satan, saying, yeah, you don't have to die, there's other ways you can do this, you know, I can give you, like, the temptations that Jesus had, I can give you the world, I can give you this. Just worship me. So Yep, that was just Satan tempting through Peter. Peter was accidentally being complicit, you know, working with the devil there for a moment. We all make mistakes. That's just it's just one of those things. Yes. Well, at one point there was a man that Jesus took the uh, evil spirits out of like they had devils in it. So he cast them out. Right. Those spirits, yeah, he cast out like demons, demonic spirits, I suppose, uh, it'd be the best description I have for that. Yeah. Right. Jesus can, I mean, yes, he, he was casting out spirits out of evil spirits out of a lot of people. So, yes. Well, you, you kind of wonder situations like that where obviously there were people possessed by demons in that time. That's one sense. And then there's the sense of Peter. I mean, there's this spectrum where people were, you know, we might say, uh, possessed by these these demons, whereas Peter was kind of being influenced and participating. And so maybe the same thing today, you know, when we think about the Holy Spirit, obviously the people in the first century had miraculous spiritual gifts and all that. We don't think we have that today, but there's some sense that we have the Holy Spirit, but it's not that same degree. Right. Um, I think that I think those two things kind of go together. It's like demon possession was happening back then. I don't really see that as a thing nowadays. Just like the Holy Spirit, we still have the Holy Spirit, but it's not the same. It's not the same in that we don't have those miracles because we have the Bible, which is you know God's miracle to us. Really, if you look at it, how that came down through the centuries. But um, 
Ah, I lost I lost the train of thought on something else though because you said something, but that's okay because no, you you had I mean, it was something that you had said that I was thinking, but uh, maybe that will pop back to me. It's like the measure of the spirit is another way to say what I'm trying to say. So Jesus had a full measure of the spirit, and John the Baptist had this the spirit. You know, but we don't have that level of the spirit where we right. perform miracles and speak in tongues. Right, we don't have that measure of the spirit where we have. Yeah, we don't have like. God's power within us here to do that type of. We have our regular earthly power to help people and do things, and that's what we're supposed to do. They needed uh, the miracles to prove, actually, that they were from God, and we, we see that in the Bible. It seems like so many times the spirits referred to is we have to make action towards them and towards you know, what he can give us, like he's called the helper, he's called the comforter. Right, the spirit's called the helper and the comforter, and then, right? You know, he brings to remembrance things that we have read before. Right, he helps us to remember what we've read and helps us to, you know, learn from the Word of God, right? So, let's see. Um, all right, so I'm going to move us on to question two, okay? Okay, so, what, um, why should why should one or why should we not believe every spirit? Because every spirit is not of God. You have to test their spirit and make what works from God and then what's not. That's right. And not you can test their spirits. Right. God's word. Not every spirit is from God and we have to know what we're dealing with and you can test them through the word of God, right? I mean, John gave, gave us that one test right there in those verses. And there are others, yes. And there's some continuity between the chapter divide we just read, verse 24, the previous chapter. He who keeps his commandments, that's how you know the Spirit is in that person, the Holy Spirit. And then here, we're talking about the same thing. Don't trust every spirit. You have to discern that. One way is to discern it. Are they actually keeping God's word, or are they just a maniac doing all kinds of wrong things, you know? Right, right. That is that is another way. Are they keeping his commandments? Or are they following that? Are they doing those things that are pleasing in his sight? I mean, if you look at all of that, that applies to us, but it also applies to whoever we're trying to test the spirit of. So that makes that makes good sense. So if one is truly led by the spirit of God, what will they confess? That Jesus came in the flesh. Now we know from, I think, back a few weeks ago, we know that there were people who were saying that Jesus was not really here in the flesh. and They were trying to say all these things that I guess I, don't, I wouldn't understand, but uh, trying to say that he wasn't really a fleshly person here and that he didn't really, you know. Uh, any, I forget the name of those folks. I had, it, I had it then a couple of weeks ago in my notes, but I don't have it here right now. Uh, he was like agnostic or something. It's Docetism, if they oh. believe that he only seemed Gnostics. To be, well, Gnostics had to do with the, the special knowledge, and that was that's an element of it too. But Docetism okay. is specifically that oh, he only seemed to be a, a person. He was sort of a, a phantom. He did all these things on Earth. We saw that, but it wasn't he wasn't really flesh and blood like us. Right. He was like a floating spirit or something. Yeah, there were people that were telling that, which there are some of the false prophets that John is trying to teach it 
against and make sure that we know. Because one of the first things he did back in First uh, John was mention that um, he had actually talked to, handled, touched, knew that Jesus was real flesh and blood. So, so that's part of that. So, question four. What did John say about the coming of the Antichrist? He's already there. Even back then, he's already there, right? Which, okay, so he was already in the world at the time that John was writing. So what is the Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist, however you want to say that? Denying Christ came into this world. He's denying Christ, right, altogether. Yes, man. Even go back to verse one. For many false prophets have gone out to the world. Those are antichrist. Those are people right. against Christ. Those those are against Christ. It's basically, I mean, if you take it very literally, it's enemy of Christ or whoever is against Christ. Right. If you, I'm just taking that very literally. Anyone who would deny Christ is under the influence of that that spirit of Antichrist. So the Antichrist, and I think Dave talked about this a few months back, that the Antichrist is not like one single person. It's it's this spirit of the Antichrist, which anyone can have that uh, spirit where they deny Christ and they're under the influence of that. So can we say, yes, Pat? I was just going to say uh, the false prophets in verse 1 are more than those that don't believe in Christ because we have all the denominations around that do believe in Christ but teach false doctrine. People who believe in Christ but teach things that are incorrect, I can't say that they're necessarily antichrist in this sense. Antichrist is really... I'm just saying the first verse of false prophets. Right. And the false prophets in the world today are denominations because they teach false doctrine. Some may be. These false prophets, it depends on how, the way I've seen this, these false prophets are intentionally sabotaging the early church. They are intentionally against Christ. It's not an accident or a mistake or a misunderstanding. What that? I wonder if, if these folks, and you have to kind of infer what the false teaching was, but these folks that were saying, well, Jesus, Jesus came, but he was you know, a phantom they weren't necessarily saying Jesus is no good or whatever. They were just saying he didn't really come in the flesh like you all are saying. They're denying that aspect of it. So it's kind of like they would probably say they believe in him. They don't believe that he came and actually in the form of human like us. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's, that's, I don't know. That's, that's why I said I read, that's the way I read this, but I don't know like a, I didn't know any of those people personally, and I've never known anyone that held that belief that Jesus did not come in the flesh and he was just some sort of specter or spiritual being that was just floating around. But, uh, but yeah, that, I mean, it could be that they, maybe they were fooled and deceived. I, I don't know that for sure either. So, to be fair to them, yes. You know, uh, in, somewhere back in my past, I, I remember someone asked me, do you really believe that garbage? So, so you know that. Yeah. 
What were they referring to when they asked you if you believed that? Were, were they talking about the Bible as a whole or Jesus? Christianity as a whole. Christianity as a whole. Okay. All right. Some people don't believe, definitely. I, I had I had friends when I was young. I, I remember, he believes now, but I remember one friend, very good friend, that did not believe when we were younger, but he does now. But. That's sad. Yeah. A lot of times there's reasons. A lot of times people have hurt and pain in their life, and they find it difficult to believe that there is a caring God. And that's all I can say about that. Let's see. So, all right. So that was the Antichrist, right? Can can we say this? The Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist? Can we say this is is this Satan or is this just a deception from Satan? It doesn't really say it's Satan, right? Well, I I truly believe it's Satan working through individuals. Right. Okay. Satan has people working for him all over the earth. Yes. In all aspects of life. Whether they know it or not. Right. Whether they know it or not. And that's, that's what I've written here. I, is, I tend to believe it's a deception from Satan and that they don't maybe don't even realize that they're deceived. But a lot of the world is blinded to, to it. So, okay. So question number five. What did John write about their ability to overcome? And he just said a very famous line, right? He who is in you is greater than he is of the world. Right. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, right? Yes. It kind of goes back to the question you just posed. That, you know, who is it? He who is in us. And who is it? He who is in the world, right? Satan. Yep. Versus the Holy Spirit. Right. John is talking, I guess that's that's really the great, uh, uh, the two sides that John is talking about. So, yeah, talking about the spirit that's in us and the spirit that's in the world. Notice that, uh, let's see, that's verse 4. Notice in verse 4, this is, this is past tense. He says, you are of God and have overcome them. So it's past tense. We have overcome and overcome also there in that in that sense means conquered, triumphed, prevailed, and are victorious, right? So if we look, let's see, that's verse four. So how do we get let's see, maybe I should save that till we do let's see, what's the next thing here? Pardon me. So if we look then at, no, I'm going to go ahead and go with this. So this is verse 5 then. In verse 5, who are we victorious over? Who's that they? The false prophets. The false prophets, right? The, the spirit of the Antichrist, the, the spirits that are in the world that are wrong, right? So these deceiving spirits, it's what I think of it as, or deceptive ideas from Satan. So how did we get this victory? In Christ, right? We accepted Christ. 
because he actually he actually did the work, right? He actually won the victory. He crushed Satan's head, right? You said that recently. <laughs> he crushed Satan's head and got the victory for us, right? So when we accept Jesus, that's when we win that victory. That's why it's past tense, right? You know, the funny thing about this whole thing, knowing that Christ came into the room and died for us, when Christ went to that cross and he died, Satan thought he had won the greatest victory of all. He had won the victory. Can you imagine when Christ arose out of that grave? What Satan felt and knows now. Yeah, I'm sure that Satan was like, oh, that was a mistake. But mm -hmm. it was too late, right? I mean, he couldn't take it back. It's done and over. He had fallen into God's plan, right? Because God's plan, God's word is always going to return to him. It's going to work. And that was his now plan. Satan's plan is to deceive as many of us as we can. As yeah. Long as he can. Satan is a sore loser. He's going to take everybody down with him he can take. That's it. Because he knows the end. So. So if we look at question six. How does one discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error? And I know we've talked about some of this, but... And it, right, it says we are of God. What else, what else does he say in that same vein, though, continuing? It says we know by this, know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. God hears us. He says... He who knows God hears us, right? And, and here he's talking about we are of God, meaning as compared to the, the false prophets, the apostles are of God. And those who know God hear us and hear what we're teaching. We're teaching God's word. We're teaching the truth, right? This is my understanding. And... He who is not of God does not hear us. And that's we actually see that in the world today. I mean, that's, that's not anything new. Uh, by this, we know the spirit of truth, though, and the spirit of error, or, like I said, the spirit of deceit or the spirit of deception, which is what the world is under a lot, like Shirley was talking about. And so, uh, and Judy. So, that's what... Yes, Matt. That, uh, that hearing us or, or listening to us or obeying and heeding us are kind of the spectrum of it is there. So back to keeping my commandments. I mean, this is John writing, but he's writing with apostolic authority. Keep Jesus' commandments, right? Right, right. Whoever actually keeps those, listens, and pays attention, and actually does them. Right, whoever listens and heeds and pays attention and does them. Yes, Shirley? Well, I, I'm... I think that we have to know the Word of God. Right. Then we will know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's true. So we we do. ourselves have to know the Word of God first. Right. That's true. We'd have to know, we ourselves have to know the, the Word of God so that we can discern what's right and what's wrong between what we hear and what people say, right? Now, I had written this as... I felt like verse 6 almost sounds like uh, 
circular logic sometimes in some of the translations it might sound a little confusion confusing but basically you know those under the spirit of error or deceit they will not listen to the sound doctrine of Jesus and the apostles that's basically what that boils down to in that verse 6 you can see the yes. plural being used we and us talking about Christians in verse 6 Say that again. Verse 6, I said the, uh, the pronouns, we and us. Right. He's talking about Christians. Right. You can also apply that. We are disciples of Jesus. So you can also apply that to us in that we are of God. We're disciples of the Lord. And we know that there are people who will not hear us, who will not listen to us speak about the Lord or will not agree with us on any of that. So that's, yes, that can apply to us as well. Now, there were some cross-references listed here. And I just wanted to see, I just wanted to mention these two. One is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37. And this is Paul, of course. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. So this kind of goes with what Matt was saying, too, that, you know, we have to recognize the apostles and their authority that they are writing the inspired word of God. Right. That's that's what the Bible is. And then in First Thessalonians, chapter two, verse 13, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So we acknowledge that the Bible is God's inspired word, regardless of which of the men it came through. I have yes. a reference in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 13. It goes along with that, especially where it talks about the Spirit of God. Oh, I went to the wrong verse, but let's see here. So 10 through 13, huh? Let's see. You said 1 Corinthians chapter... Oh, I went to the wrong chapter. Oh, that was funny. I hit the, I, I flipped it, that's all. I have no excuse. That's just what happened. But God has revealed it to us by the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except his own spirit within him? So too, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And that is the, uh, this is a different translation. This is not the New King James Version. That was, uh, I think that was the Berean study Bible that I was looking at earlier. <laughs> so anyway, um, so if that had a few words different, that's, that's why. And I think that brings us to the end here because I have a, a little um, a little invitation to do. 
So I want to thank you all for your time. Let's see, this was question number six. And we'll pick up with question number seven next week. Thank you very much. All right, well, I hope this will tie into what we've been studying. And actually, in a way, Pat kind of made a segue for me. Because the first thing I want to look at is I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. So it kind of goes right with what Pat was talking about, right? But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one, let's see, even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So I just had a few more verses, that's all. Just as I cannot know the things in your heart, and in your mind. And you cannot know what is in mine, right? We cannot know what is in God's without his spirit. We've received the spirit so that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God in verse 12. This is how we know the spiritual things of God. We know what is right and what is true. Unfortunately, looking at verse 14, we also see that the lack of God's Spirit is why the worldly, natural person does not understand. God and His ways are spiritual and only understood through spiritual means. This is why we feel like we are in constant conflict with the world. Because spiritually, we are. We really are. We feel a lot like Lot did. When he was in Sodom, we feel like we're in a sinful world that just seeing some of the things around us, it hurts. It, it kind of bothers us. And the worldly, they do not understand us. We seem foolish and ignorant to them. God and the Lord even seem foolish and ignorant to some of them. As we talked about the Antichrist, some under that spirit will not believe, do not believe. Because the world is deceived and following Satan, the wrong spirit, and we can easily see the fruit of that spirit. If we look over at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
these works of the flesh, they are the actions of, of basically of unbelief, right? Or in belief in maybe the God of themselves and for some people. But this is the fruit of their deception, and it's shown in an outward way. All the, even though we can at times be guilty of some of these things, outbursts of wrath. I mean, none of us are perfect either, and we understand that, but we're working against those things. We're not practicing those things out of hand just all the time. Now, the next few verses there in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, they contrast those with the fruit of the Spirit uh, by us, you know, when we're following Jesus. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now notice that these fruits are also actions. We, we love. Love is an action. Uh, we are long-suffering, kind, and faithful. We are gentle and practice self-control. This is what we should be doing, right? Um, we act out joy, being happy and glad for the blessings of this life. And we display the peace of God by trusting in Him and not letting our circumstances get to us or provoke us in some way. And goodness is following God's morality, the Lord's commands to love and care for others. So we can see the actions and the fruit, others and what spirit they follow, and we can also judge ourselves and tell what spirit we're following at different times when we make mistakes and when we mess up. We can see that, just like with the example of Peter for that moment, he was letting his emotion get the better of him. So it means what we should be doing is we should be looking for opportunities, right, to share the fruit of God's word with others. That's, that's what we should be doing, right? We should be trying to share that love and that joy and that peace with others as best we can, when we can. And now, now is a time, a chance that we can pull together and help each other to share our blessings. That is, that is really what this time is for. If we are servants to God and service to each other, acting in service toward one another, loving one another. And if anyone here would have any need for a prayer or have anything that we could assist you with, this is, this is that time. And please come forward as we stand and sing.